Good morning. My name is Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. What a privilege it is to um, open God's word together. And uh, we just have two more weeks of the Apostles' Creed. And uh, so we're going to quote it again together. Um, I'm still working on memorizing it. Maybe if, uh, if we do it often enough, I'll get it through this, this thick skull. It gets harder as you get older to memorize this stuff. Some of you guys did this as kids. And so this is uh, second nature to you. But let's all, let's all say it together. And just this is what we believe. Let's declare it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of body, and the life everlasting. This morning we have the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and let's just get something out of the way. Some of you are like, wait, we're Catholic? We never knew that. Uh, what a shock. Well, here's, let me just quickly say, Catholic just means universal. So there it is. We'll talk more about that. Basically, what we're acknowledging when we say the creed is, we are not the only Christians on planet Earth. We join a whole host uh, of people from other cultures, other time periods, uh, people that have already gone before us. It's a universal church. And so that's what Catholic means, not Roman Catholic there. Uh, let's open to Matthew 16, if you have a Bible. And we're going to start with Jesus' first explanation of the church in Matthew 16. This is the first time he mentions the word church and talks about this idea. It's actually one of only three times in the Gospels. And this is Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Let's stop there. So there's some confusion around this. What's Jesus saying that that you are Peter and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. What's the rock Jesus is building his church on? Is it Jesus? Is it Peter? Is he the first pope? Is it his confession that he's the son of the living God? I think all of this may overshadow Jesus' main point. A couple of things he's saying here is that one, he wants us to know who he is and what he's doing on earth. Number one, who he is. He's the son of the living God. Peter declares that you're the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for this whole time to come and save us, the long-awaited Messiah. So 
Jesus responds to him. I love this. He goes, that's right, Simon, son of Jonah. Why would Jesus say son of Jonah? That would be like Jesus, well done, Mark, son of Jack. You know, why would he say that? I think he's emphasizing the point. Hey, son of Jonah, your dad is just a guy. Your dad is some schmo named Jonah. But you're right. I'm the son of the living God. That's what makes Jesus' father's day different than any of ours, right? His father is God, the son of the living God. So to add emphasis on Simon's point, on Peter's point there is to, is to highlight who Jesus is. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Mortal man did not teach you this. Someone can only come to that conclusion about who Jesus is by the help of the Holy Spirit and the Father revealing that to him. So what Jesus is up to, what is he doing on earth? He says, I will build my church. This this word church uh, in Greek, ekklesia, it's it's a word that means assembly or gathering. So he's saying, I'm I'm building this, this community This gathering, who is this assembly of people? It's a people who share in this confession that Peter made, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And as we gather, that confession about Jesus binds us together. And so let's start with this question, what is the church? Here's the definition, you can write this down. The church, it's the community of all true believers for all time who submit. To King Jesus. He says about his church, about his gathering, that the gates of hell will not overpower it. The gates of hell, what's a gate? A gate is a protection for a city. Satan thinks he owns this earth. He's the prince of this darkness, as the Bible says, and, and he's He's trying to keep the world in darkness. He's got some strong gates built up, but he says the gates of hell will not be will not protect the world from the church. Hell itself can't keep the church out. So the first point we want to say there's three points here in this message and each of them come with an application. But the first point we want to see from what Jesus is saying is that the church is invincible. This gathering, this thing that God is doing in bringing people from every nation, tribe, language, it's invincible. The the gates of hell will not stop it. So I think that the application to this point is pretty obvious. Like, what would you make the application to this point be if you were preaching the sermon? I think it's obvious. Isn't it obvious? Here it is. So don't be a grumpy Christian. Don't be a grumpy Christian because the church is invincible. How are those things, how do those things go together? An invincible church and a not grumpy Christian. Well, I just think negativity is easy to come by these days, isn't it? Like, I mean, everyone, you know, we turn on the news, we turn, we open our podcast, we're listening, the things we're listening to It's just negativity. And I think it's because 
of the fastest growing religion in America that has taken the place of, of you know, traditional religion. Uh, I think the fastest growing religion in America is, what would you say? It's politics, isn't it? Politics is the fastest growing religion. It's becoming not just like, hey, I, yeah, I'm voting for this, yeah, we're for these causes. It's like, no, it's, it's religion. And you can always tell the people, and a lot of people in the church are kind of flocking to this new religion. And you can always see it in people because they're angry. They're mad. Just like mad at the world, mad, angry. And their pastors are political commentators. Their leadership are news commentators, people on the nightly news. And, and you just walk away from this, these, these pastors and priests, less optimistic, more grumpy about the world and angry at all the people out there, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what we know. Like we know this, right? Us, the church, we know this. Kings and kingdoms, prime ministers, presidents, nations will all pass away. But Jesus and his church are forever. This promise that Jesus is making here to his disciples should fill us with so much joy. Christian, when you look at the world, be optimistic, be hopeful, because not because of what you see in the news, but because of what you see in the Bible, because of what you just heard Jesus say about the church, about the gathering that you are a part of, is that the gates of hell will not stop it. Remember that when you're listening to your favorite political commentators. Remember the words of Jesus. The gates of hell will not overcome this great assembly, the people of God. So Paul explains what Jesus is saying in more detail in his letter called, uh, it's, it's the letter to the church in Ephesus. So it's the little book of Ephesians. So if you can turn there, it's just a little letter that Paul wrote. If you want to understand the church, master the book of Ephesians and you will understand the church, who we are, what we're supposed to be about in this world. And I just want to hit a couple things from Ephesians and, and just give you a quick jet tour, if you will, of, of this book. But I want to start in Ephesians 3, verse 10, or we're in 8 through 10 here. And Paul says, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of this mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers 
and authorities in the heavens. We'll stop there. Here's what Paul is saying. What has God been doing in secret this whole time throughout history? What does he say there? What was hidden for ages and generations but is now revealed? It's the church. It's the church. And as this extraordinary plan of God becomes known to the world, what's the result? What's the result there in verse 10? He says, as the church grows, as God builds his church, the multifaceted wisdom of God is made known. The multifaceted, this is like a a word for an intricately embroidered pattern. It's something you look at and you're just like, that is so beautiful. How did somebody even make that? The multifaceted wisdom of God is made known. And who is it made known to? He says it's made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, to the angels, the demons, to heaven and hell. When they see the church, they see the wisdom of God. So as churches gather all over the world this morning, as the churches gather, we declare and display the exceptional intelligence and creativity of God. Isn't that amazing? That us being here this morning makes a huge declaration to the angels and demons, heaven and hell. What does it declare? It declares the multifaceted wisdom of God. So the second point here is the church is the genius of God on display. Let's do a little word association. Okay, when I say the word genius, who's a person from history that comes to mind? Somebody, uh, Einstein, right? Probably Einstein is the first person that comes to mind. Now, if I were wanting to display, like if I were wanting to show you Einstein's genius, what would I do? Like if I, if I were to, to say, hey, here's a picture of Einstein's genius on display, what would I do? I would probably show you a chalkboard. So here's a picture of Einstein with a chalkboard. Okay, now, I don't even know what those symbols mean. That, that's like, I know that uh, Jim Walker tells me that mathematics is the, it's like the language of nature. And I think that's so cool that, that somehow all those symbols and numbers on that chalkboard just display uh, the glory of nature in a really cool way. And, and there's like Einstein, and that's what's inside his brain on the chalkboard. I just think that's pretty cool, isn't it? That, 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 that all of that makes sense to him. He looks at the, that symbols and he's like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like this world is, is an amazing place. So it reflects the genius of Einstein. Now, if I wanted to show you a picture of the genius of God, what picture would I show you? Like based on Ephesians 3, 
I want to show you a chalkboard, as it were, of God's brain on display. What's the picture that I would show you? Are you guys ready? I have a picture. Look around this room. Really, like if you're in the front, just like, like turn around, look. Just look at all these people. Look around. This is it. The multifaceted wisdom and genius of God is on display right now. Look around. Isn't it beautiful? Some of you are asking the question, are you serious? This? That guy? Her? Him? Person across the room? Or the person sitting next to you? (laughs) This is it. This is the best that God could do? Apparently. What is it about the church that displays the infinite, unsearchable riches of God? What is it about the church that's way more impressive than some symbols on a chalkboard? Ephesians 2 tells us, and for the sake of time, we're we're not going to go here, but but I just want to tell you what what Paul says. He says that we have the the Jews. These are the people of God. And we have the Gentiles, the, the goyim, the nations. And that just represents all the other people's groups, right? In, in Jewish eyes, there weren't like a thousand people groups. There were just two. It was like God's people and all the other people, right? Everyone else out there. So, so we just get lumped in with, uh, with all the peoples of the earth. But there were two categories of people. And Paul says that through the cross... God has broken down all those barriers, all those things that divide us, those racial things, cultural things, socioeconomic things, religious, that all of those things just got torn down. And at the cross, we come together as one new humanity. God has made in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, reconciling Jews and Gentiles together through the cross. So Jews and Gentiles together, the Israelites, the Pashtun people of Afghanistan, the Berbers of Morocco, the Bemba of Zambia, the red, yellow, black, and white of America coming together with Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Miriam and Peter and Mary together in one family. That's amazing. And I love watching people stream into church because we're all so different. I'm like, what brings us together? It's a shared love for King Jesus. That's why we come together. There's no other reason for us to be together this morning, except we have been brought together through the cross of Christ. That's amazing. The very existence of this assembly that spans all of time 
It's multiracial, multicultural, multi-socioeconomic. The genius of this gathering is in the diversity and yet the unity that we have. This one new humanity brought together through the cross. So Paul is repeating Jesus here. The powers of hell are confronted every time God's people gather. Isn't that a cool thought? Which is also like, we have to meet together, don't we? We have to be the assembly. Like the assembly has to assemble. We need each other. We declare the wisdom of God when we gather together. Isn't that so cool from Ephesians 3? This is what we mean when we say the holy Catholic church as some churches may change that to the Holy Christian Church, I think Catholic is the perfect word. We could put universal there, but it just, it just means it's, it's all encompassing. It's, it, it's universal. It spans time, culture. It's a communion. It's an intimate sharing together of the saints. The saints are the called out ones to be holy. People called to live holy lives of obedience to Jesus. I was talking to my brother about this, and he's like, one of my favorite things to do when I'm on vacation is to go to church on Sunday. Because when you go to church in a different state, city, country, wherever you're at, what you find is, I don't know any of these people here, but I have way more in common with these people than even some of my own flesh and blood family members that don't know Jesus. I've been to churches in Kazakhstan, in the Darien jungle of Panama. Uh, Jeff and I had the privilege of kind of sneaking into a secret church in Morocco where they had their Bibles locked up and we came together and huddled up in this, in this secret place and we sang worship and we felt unity with these people. And it's a beautiful thing when the church gathers. Here's the question. So what is Paul's application to this beautiful truth about the church? This is where we go to Ephesians 4, the next chapter. And this is a huge therefore. He says, therefore, okay, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Here's what Paul's saying. This life together, 
it's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take a lot of gentleness. It's going to take a lot of humility for us to exist together. It's going to take a lot of making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He's saying, engage in this assembly, engage in church with an attitude of love and grace. And this is the stuff the world knows nothing about. So the application to the second point is that the church is the genius of God on display. So jump all in. And don't think that you have a better idea than God. If this is the wisdom of God on display, then a statement like this makes absolutely no sense. And some of you have heard this. Maybe some of you have said it. I don't need the church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. That's like saying, like, I'm a husband and a father, but I don't need to see my wife and kids to be those things. It's like, I, I don't need to spend time with my wife to be a husband. I don't need to spend time with my kids to be a dad. Like, those, that doesn't actually make any sense, right? I'm spiritual, but not religious. Like, I like to do this private spirituality thing, go out into nature, be me and Jesus, but I don't really do the whole, like, institutional church thing. Like, all the whole, you know, all the scandals and all the, the stuff about the church, I don't do any of that. Like, it's just the purity of me and Jesus together. Or I, you know, because I'm hearing a lot more since COVID, like, Oh, yeah, I, I do church online, and I do church. Actually, um, I attend this church in California through Zoom. Because, uh, I, I mean, as I was watching different church services, like through, I started with Veritas, and, you know, that's my home church. But actually, I started tuning into this other church in California. It's pretty crazy. It's cool. Uh, really like the worship and preaching, you know, don't have to deal with the volume issues. I mean, it's just perfect. I can adjust it just, just for me. And I can shop around and get the preaching I want. Imagine someone saying to this to Paul, like, yeah, I'm in Ephesus, but I attend Zoom church in Corinth. They've got better preachers over there. Like the worship over in Corinth better. Uh, spiritual gifts are more in action. You know, Ephesus, they preach the word, but I really like, you know, doing more of the Holy Spirit stuff over there. Like, what would Paul have said to that? Like, that actually makes no sense because there's no meaningful way to live out the gospel without people. Like, that's why the first application is be patient with each other. If it's just me and Jesus, there's no one I have to be patient with. Be humble, be gentle. The only way to live out those applications is to be with other people, to be in community. So 
One of the things that we say a lot at Veritas, if you love Veritas, because some of you, I, I know that many of you are new, constantly new people coming to Veritas, and, and I love meeting you because we're so much better than the churches that you just left. And, and uh, you know, I mean, we're just like, you know, you just love everything about the church. And yeah, you've got your few issues, but man, for the most part, you love Veritas. And the thing we always say to you is, if you love Veritas, just give us time. We'll disappoint you. We know that's true. I, I know the other pastors in town, and I'm not more godlier than them, right? Uh, a lot of them are better men than me. So just give us time. Get to know us a little bit, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. On to the next place, right? But isn't that kind of the point? Like, of course, we're this broken kind of group of people. And some of you are like, oh, the stuff in the church. Yeah, the church is full of sinners, but there's no other place to be a Christian than the church. So letting each other down, loving each other through our grievances, that's kind of the point. That's how we display the wisdom of God that you're so much different than me and you annoy the mm out of me, but I love you. I was talking to a guy, I was like, he, he was talking about their connection group um, last week and somebody just started going off on this political rant. And it was, I mean, they were popping pins to grenades and rolling into the group. And can you believe this and this and all everything, every hot topic they hit on this 20-minute rant, like this monologue in connection group, you know? And those are the connection groups that all of us are like, yeah, that's why I don't go to connection, for that. And this person was saying, after group, that night later, this person called that, that person and said, man, it seemed like you had a lot on your heart. How are you doing? And it's like a dam broke. And this person just opened up. That's church. How are you doing? I, I'm praying for you. Because I know that you are angry. I know that you are suffering. I know that you are anxious. I know that you are sick, and I want you to know that I am with you in this. I'm not leaving, and I love you. That's what Ephesians 4 means, bearing with each other in love. And as we do that, we display the wisdom of God. This guy, Al Mohler, says the gospel is not just about saving people. It's about creating a people. We are not just individuals. We exist as a community. So it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. I can't think of myself as just an individual. I need to think of 
I am a part of a family of God. I just want to ask the question, what are the things that are dividing you from other people this morning? We were talking about this in our elder meeting, and, and one of the guys was sharing that growing up, uh, he was a part of a church that split over communion, over how to do communion. Because I guess the old timers, uh, they would pass around one cup, the goblet, and everyone just pass it down the aisle, and everyone would just take a drink out of the goblet. You know, Some of you may have grown up in churches that do that. Um, I've seen people do that at Veritas. They just pick up the guy, you know, just <laughs> drink out of it or whatever. That's why we went to, no. Uh, we're, we're doing individual cups today. But he was funny because he said, our church actually split over this because some people were like, hey, can we not do the whole drink out of the same cup thing? And some people were like, no, this is how we do it. And other people were like, but I think we should just maybe individual cups. That might be, you know, and the church actually split over this issue. And that seems so petty and all that until you think about the issues that you have, the reasons you want to leave, right? It's like, I don't like how they did this. I don't like the volume of this. I don't like whatever, you know, we can always find things to divide us. But one of the applications to this whole church thing is that we are going to be a kind of people who make every single effort to, to keep unity. The last thing that Paul says about the church is in Ephesians 5. He says in Ephesians 5.31, he's talking about marriage, the roles of men and women. And he says, for this reason, this is 5.31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis there. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's going back to page one of the Bible. How does the Bible start in Genesis 1? Genesis 1 and 2. It starts with what? A marriage, a wedding. Now, here's a quiz How does the Bible end? It ends with a wedding, a marriage, and Revelation 19. And what Paul's pointing to is this profound mystery of marriage points to something way bigger, and it points to Christ in the church. Let me just read Revelation 19, 6 through 9. This is where, this is where we're going, church. This is where things are headed. This is what the future is about. Verse 19, 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. The Bible ends with a marriage feast. Why? Why? 
because the church is the bride of Christ. This is the reason that Christians take marriage so seriously is because it's what the it's the whole point of the world. It's what God is doing. The last point is that the church is the bride of Christ. So look forward with longing. There's one thing that I have never seen at a wedding. I've never seen an indifferent, apathetic, or disgruntled bride. I love weddings and I love doing weddings. And one of the favorite moments is standing at the front and watching the bride's face and the groom's face as they light up with this joyful expectation of life together. The most intimate relationship that there could be on earth. And the the bride's face is like glowing. And the guy's just crying or smiling. They're excited about the commitment they're about to make and sharing this most intimate of all relationships. This church is what we need when we think of the church. This joyful expectation of life forever with our husband, Christ. So the way we're going to end is communion. And what's so beautiful about this, we talk about the communion of saints, but this is where the intimate sharing together comes together. This is why we're unified It's because of the body and blood of Jesus that has brought us together and reconciled us. You guys, the world has a lot of solutions for how to bring unity. None of them will work. Only this is what will destroy those barriers that divide us, only the blood of Christ. And I know that there's a lot of soul searching that all of us need to do as we reflect on this. As I'm thinking about this, I want to be more devoted to the church. I don't know about you, but the application has to be something a little more than, okay, I'll just show up again next week. It's like, no, we need more devotion to the church, more commitment to the church out of love and passion. Jesus said, um, when he was taking communion with the disciples, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And as you do this, you proclaim my death until I return. You guys, there's a lot of aching in our hearts. There's a lot of suffering. And when I talk about earlier about not being grumpy, being optimistic, being hopeful, I understand there's a lot of reasons why we're hurting. There's a lot of pain that exists. And some of it is even because of people in the church that have hurt you. But this is a reminder that we're looking forward to something better.
And that's when Jesus returns. He is coming and he will satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we prepare ourselves to share together in communion, God, we just come with a longing in our hearts for you to return. We long to be with you, and I pray for every aching heart this morning. We feel the, the pain of this fallen world, of the trajectory of this culture. And we know the trajectory of the church is different. It's unstoppable, it's invincible, but still we, we long for your appearing and your coming. We long to share this meal with you. at that wedding feast described in Revelation. We just invite you to come when you're ready. Worship team is going to lead us. And when you're ready, there's, there's tables around. You can take the, the cup represents the, Jew, the blood of Christ, the bread, the body of Christ broken for us. Come when you're ready. Let's do this in remembrance of him.